recycle engine spins the factory pines deep into the soil. It cuts through the hardest clay and tangled weeds, yet maneuvers nimbly through the tighter spaces. Now, get this amazing mess and make huge factory direct savings. Plus, we'll give you this quarter inch for free. Call now for complete information. 1-800-706-8650. Worthy, where did it come from? Well, it's the Mormon camp. Does the Bible condone it? We've heard about the raid in Texas. What about the pigs in our own backyard? Hi. I was born and raised in a thriving polygamous community here in Salt Lake City. Join me as we discuss these and many of your questions about this controversial subject each week on our call-in program, Polygamy, What Love Is This? Every Thursday at 8 p.m. here on TV 20, KPMW, Salt Lake City. some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Christianity, Biblical Christianity, face-to-face. -face. And I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who cannot tune in live here on television, have them go www.hotm.tv and they can tune in live streaming video from anywhere in the world. You can also watch any of our past archive shows there at HOTM.TV. And listen, if you don't have uh, or your friends don't have a television but they have a radio and you're here in the Utah area, we advise you to go to 820 AM The Truth. Uh, that is a new, relatively new radio station, 50,000 watts of power, and they broadcast Heart of the Matter every Tuesday night at the same time. So right now, they can turn on and hear, and they can call from their... Uh, their cell phones from their car, whatever they want to do. They really have great programming for Christians seeking to know the Word and for seekers seeking to know the Lord. That's AM 820, Got Truth, and uh, tune in. You can hear the show there. With all those announcements, we're going to have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you and we need you tonight. We uh, ask you to be with our audience uh, here in the studio our viewing audience throughout uh, Utah, Idaho, wherever we're aired, and a streaming video audience in their homes. We pray, Lord, for our staff, and we pray for the message, uh, and that we'll be able to share this, uh, and it will be effective and meaningful to people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm fairly certain that tonight's show is going to ruffle more Christian feathers than any show we have ever done. In the quest for truth and resolution, it is vital that the sword we wield is uh, no respecter of persons and cuts both ways. The importance of this topic and how it relates to the LDS Church will be apparent in a few minutes. It's important to recall that Joseph Smith, founder of the LDS Church, was not raised by parents who were indifferent to religion. From what I can tell and the research I've done over the years, they were passionate on the subject with his mother, Lucy Max Smith, bordering at times on being even fanatical. And his father, Joseph Smith Sr., was a maverick kind of spiritual uh, seeker for truth. Um, the religious environment to which Joseph Smith Jr. was exposed early and frequently also contributed to his religious makeup which included prejudices and disappointments that came directly from errant teachings that were popular then and even today among certain Christian folk. 
I suggest that it's quite probable that Joseph Smith Jr. created a number of non-biblical doctrinal fantasies in direct response to the fanatical, dogmatic, errant teachings that were passed on to him by many misled Christians of his day. Obviously, I am not at all suggesting that all Christians embraced or promoted such false doctrine. In fact, it was probably very much like today where just a few kind of wacko people will distort the truths of Christianity and the rest of the world will assign those uh, ideas to everybody else. But from the history and retelling of Joseph Smith Jr.'s life, we know that he did hear from clergy too um, things that were just categorically false and not biblical. One of these teachings was that if a person was not baptized, they went straight to hell. This is false today, and it was false then. When Joseph was 17 years old, two months after he supposedly had uh, gone to the Hill Cumorah to receive the golden plates on which the Book of Mormon was uh, written, his older brother Alvin died unexpectedly. Now, historical records show that Alvin was sort of a surrogate father in the Smith home as Joseph Smith Sr. Uh, was a tad bit unreliable toward the family in those years. Alvin tended to the family store they once owned. He used a seer stone just like Joseph did and searched for buried treasure. And he was one of the most excited members of the family when Joseph came home and said that he had discovered these golden plates. In fact, it is recorded in Manuscript History of Joseph Smith, Alvin's presence was even required of the Lord at the Hill Cumorah in order for Joseph to obtain those golden plates. But then he died from a medical treatment gone bad, and all of these things had to change. Joseph Smith Jr. thought very highly of his older brother, and he wrote of him, quote, He was the oldest member of my father's family. He lived without spot from the time he was a child. From the time of his birth, he never knew mirth. He was candid and sober and never knew play. He minded his mother and father in toiling all day. He was one of the soberest men. And when he died, the angel of the Lord visited him in his last moments, end quote. I get the sense that Joseph Smith Jr. was well aware of his own propensities toward fantasy and being somewhat of a charlatan, but he truly respected his stoic and stable older brother Alvin, and his death served as a tremendous blow to the whole family. This is the setting. Then guess who shows up on the scene at the Smith home shortly after Alvin's death? A compassionless, dogmatic preacher who tells Joseph Smith's mother while she's mourning for the death of Alvin that he's in hell because he received, uh, he did not receive baptism. Sometimes I'm floored by the fact that there are people who actually think they can speak for God in terms of who is in hell and who is not. Naturally, Joseph Smith, who was no pushover in any way, shape, or form, was not about to let such an insensitive fool ruin his mother's peace. So he later produced a doctrine and a practice that would solve this painful issue. The doctrine was vicarious baptism for the dead. In my estimation, short-sighted as it may be, Joseph loved men, especially his family, more than he loved God or biblical truth. And he had the audacity to say almost anything if it would grant people some semblance of peace and security in their lives. This is what made him a hero in the eyes of people who were suffering in those days, almost a savior, if you will. The other foolish dogmatic position many Christians maintained then and sometimes still do today was the totally illogical and I would say absolutely unbiblical belief that the people who have never heard the name Jesus or Christ or have never had the chance to hear his gospel, including savages and little children and babies, go straight to hell at death. I'm going to spend the rest of my time tonight refuting this insipid teaching because I believe that as a response to it, Joseph once again introduced more non-biblical, fail-safe teachings straight from his imagination just to give people around him peace. 
Now, before you decide that I'm a Christian heretic, hear me out. I'm not a universalist by any sense of the word or stretch of the imagination. I accept hell as a literal place and that many will go there. I believe hell is eternal, I believe it is burning, and I, I believe it is a place of everlasting torment. And I would never ever suggest that there is any other way anyone can enter heaven outside of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But I will without pause deny the non-biblical heresy that God creates certain people specifically for hell or that there have been, are, or will be people, including children and ignorant savages, who have never heard of Jesus Christ, who are going to be thrust by God straight there when they die. Now I'm going to list on the board over here, I'm going to get up right now and move over here, and I'm going to use the board to help explain some of the things that uh, people use in this argument. I hope the transition's nice. And we're short on microphone. We didn't rehearse this. All right. So if you look over here at this board, you can see that it says unaware of Jesus equals hell. All right. Are we focused in on that? Unaware of Jesus equals hell. All right. Here are four of the main reasons that people will stand by this of the Christian community. The first one is that all of us deserve hell. Now, this is absolutely true when you understand that um, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and God is just. And God has the right to take his creations that have fallen from him because of sin, and he has the right to put us in hell. This falls under the category of God is just, and he has the right, we all deserve hell. Now, there's a response to that that many people don't consider, and that is God is also merciful. All right? So even though we all are sinners, and we all, which camera am I looking at? We all do, three, we all are sinners and we all do deserve hell. We know that God is also not just 100% just, but he's 100% merciful, all right? We are completely ignoring the idea that God is merciful when we say that we're all sinners, deserve hell. Therefore, if you die without hearing the name Jesus, that's where you're going is to hell. That would not include a God who is merciful or loving, all right, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. This is a loving God. 1 Timothy 2, 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants every single person to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All men. It's not, there is no way in, uh, on earth God has created people specifically to go to hell or that he is going to say the savage back in 1730 in Africa who was born and raised in a village and dies without a knowledge of, of, of the name Jesus Christ goes to hell. There's no way that would fit a merciful God. Just God, yes, but not just and merciful. I'm going to give you reasons why that savage will uh, has the chance to not go to hell. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, the second reason that Christians will give that we're going to hell is through Hebrews 9, 27, which says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this is the judgment. This is so true. And a just and merciful God acting within the propitiation of the blood of Jesus Christ will judge all men and women justly, mercifully, and in accordance with their response to what they have been given and what they have received. Yes, we are appointed to live and die once and face judgment. But what is that judgment based on? Okay, now I, I don't know how difficult this is going to be, but I'm going to go to this board and I'm going to list seven things. 
I'm not going to even do it. I'm just going to tell you what the seven things are. You can use your imagination. Okay? The first way that God has revealed to us who he is and what laws he has. This is the lowest way. If this is a, a pyramid, all right, the lowest way, the first way of that is that um, God has written his law upon every single human being's heart. All right? Psalms, um, and he has also written it on every single uh creation that he has placed before us. So in Psalms 19, 1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. So you have the savage who's out there and he has for probably hundreds of, of, of millions of people who have never heard of Jesus Christ, who have come to this earth and died, hundreds of millions, I'm guesstimating here, we probably have them and they're out and they are looking at the creations around them. And it says, Psalm says, this, these creations testify of who God is. And they resonate in their heart and they say, I think you're there. And they say, I believe that you are there somehow. This power that's bigger than me. And somehow in what they are given in nature, they worship this God. That is one way that God has shown people that he is there. The second way is what I just mentioned. He has put it in all of our consciences. Every single person on earth has a conscience in some uh, form or another. Do you know what conscience means? Conscience, con means with, like chili con carne. Con and science. Science means knowledge. Conscience means with knowledge. And so every single person, the savage, the, all the people, they have a conscience. And they know right and wrong. And God, who is going to look at them and judge them if they die without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, is going to say, I showed you who I was through nature. I gave you a conscience that gave you knowledge in your heart of right and wrong. How did you respond to that? Okay, those are two ways that God has given his law moving up this, this scale. All right, Romans 2.15 says, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. It was talking about people who were defiled men who have never heard the name of Christ, and it says their conscience is the thing that convicts them. But the conscience can also be something that leads the savage to God in the limited way that he has. The third way God has revealed himself and his law is he wrote them in stone. So we have he, he put it in nature, he put it in our conscience, and then we have him writing his law in stone. We call them the Ten Commandments. Exodus 24, 12 reminds us of his ways. And as God so moves, even more specifically, he gives us more and more light and knowledge throughout the epochs of time. Starts off with nature, goes to the conscience of man. Now he's writing his law in stone. And there were people who did not know the name of Jesus Christ who did try to live those laws in stone. They failed, but they tried to live those laws in stone. All right. Now we're starting to move toward a justification for people going straight to hell. But in ways one and two, there is only acquiescence to a higher invisible God available and acknowledgement without specific knowledge of the name Christ. By this third way is 10 specific commandments from a specific God. And we start to get into the area where hell is going to start to play a part in the people who read those laws and then start to reject at the same time. We used to hear and read these commandments even in our schools, these 10 commandments. But it's another way all of us are somehow aware of him and what he expects of us. And, to get, and they help convince us that we have a need for a savior when we look at those 10 and say, wow, something's missing. The fourth way God reveals himself, and this is very specific, is through his word, the Bible. This is his manual. Many people open it. They have their minds and eyes and their heart. Tell them what they have always known. Now we're starting to get to some real justification for hell. Okay, God is, is kind of stacking the deck here. 
He says, you looked at nature. I know you have. I created it that way. If you've stepped outside, you've seen. I know your heart knew right and wrong when you chose to do that. Okay, I've given it, I've given it in Ten Commandments, which you can. You, the savage could say, I'd never heard of them. And God would say, okay, you didn't hear of them. What did you do with the knowledge I did give you? And he would respond. But most of us have now heard of the Ten Commandments. Now we're moving up to he gave it to us in his word. And so most of us, in America at least, have gone to some Sunday school and we've heard some of the words. So more justification for the hell. And this Bible, Hebrew 4.12's read, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to a dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God gives us his word and it tells us, hey, it will cut through all the stuff that you want to believe and make up. It tells you right there. But Romans 15, 4 also says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So that word is not just there to condemn us. It's also there to give us hope. All right. Now we're really getting into the business of hell and people who are being lined up by God and saying, I want you to come to me. I'm giving you all these chances. Are you, are you looking at them or are you refusing them? The fifth way God has given us his divine law, and it's possibly the greatest way, was through the incarnation of his son. Jesus Christ, Jesus came and he took on a body of flesh. And in him resided all the law, the prophets. Everything was there within him. And he was the, the flesh. He was God in the flesh. John 1, 4 says, And the word, speaking of Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the author and finisher of our faith. You can deny him. You can reject him. You can refuse him. Hell period. You have the chance. You've come along. You've looked at nature. You looked at your conscience. You know the Ten Commandments. You've looked at the Bible a little bit. You're testified of Jesus. You get the chance. It's hell. You know, we don't make any, any quibbles about that. But remember what we're talking about. We're talking about the wrongful idea that babies and savages go to hell because of the name Jesus they haven't heard. I'm going to tell you, give you some more reasons why. The sixth way quickly God reveals himself through the law is that it's written on our hearts. When you come to understand who Jesus was, the, the law is then transferred, according to Zechariah, Hebrews uh, echoes this, it's transferred from being in stone to being in your actual heart. All right, Hebrews 8.10 says, For this was the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel... In those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind. I will write them in their hearts and I will be unto them a God and they shall be my people. Every single person who comes to understand who Jesus was has this law then written on their heart. You turn from that, you have a problem. I don't believe once saved, always saved. You turn from it, it's hell. Okay. The final or seventh way God reveals uh, himself to us is through the outward lives of believers around us. When you run into believers who are living an outward life and you say to them, what, how come you're different? And they say, well, because Jesus, and they testify to you. This is the seventh way that God reveals himself to people on this earth so that they can see. You've been given seven chances in order for God to reveal himself to you, depending on your circumstance. Okay. Uh, and and 2 Corinthians talks about the epistles are written upon the believer's hearts. Do I believe in hell for people who turn from these evidences presented to them in all seven of God's revelations? In nature, in conscience, in tables of stone, in scripture, in Jesus himself, in a personal witness, in personal witnesses? Absolutely, without question. This is why we preach and teach and reach out to all we hear with the message of Jesus Christ, with studying his word, with teaching these things. But do I believe in hell for people who have responded to nature, their conscience, the tablets of stone or the scripture that they have had, who have never heard the name Jesus or heard the full gospel preach? Never, never. Such a belief would never match with the merciful, loving God of the, of the uh, uh, Testaments or the avenues he has provided for those who have not heard his beautiful name, okay? Which leads us to a proof text some use to say otherwise. 
Number three, this is the third thing that the Christians, uh, errant Christians will use to say all are going to hell. And this is the big one. By no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Okay? It comes from Acts 4.12. The full scriptures, neither is there salvation in any other. Speaking of the name of Jesus, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Again, what Christian could disagree with this? But where does it say in the Bible that this salvation, this grace, cannot be applied to them who believe according to what they have been given? Nowhere. Nowhere does it say. And the savage who doesn't know the name of, of Jesus by which we're saved is going straight to hell. We know from scripture that every knee shall bow, but what uh, says the verse? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, Philippians 2.10. So some will maintain that the actual Anglican name of Jesus must be spoken and confessed with the human mouth while the body, uh, while a person is in their body in order for each and every individual human spirit to be saved. What about the Hispanics who call Jesus, uh, uh, what do they call him? Jesus. What about when they say Jesus? Is that Jesus? Now I hear people emphatically say, it has to be Jesus. What about Jesus? Okay. Now Jesus is not even the Lord's name, you see. I love the name because of what it conveys and means to me, but his name is Yeshua. His name was Joshua, which means Iesus in the Greek, which became Jesus in the English. Do you see the point with making this teaching a sticking point with people, with coming down and trying to force it in that sense? You know, when I think or try to relate to Jesus in the flesh, of his ontological makeup, that means what he was like. When I try to see and understand him and love him as a guy with a mole on his foot or a guy with a certain walk or a guy who said words a certain way, I cannot relate to that Jesus. But that's the ontological Jesus. But the epistemological Jesus, that means the spiritual Jesus, the, the, the thing that transcends this flesh and fills me, that I fall down at the sound of the name. That I will bow and worship that sovereign God and King completely. And sometimes we get mixed up. We think that they have to have complete ontological understanding of Jesus in order to experience salvation. They have to have complete epistemological knowledge of Jesus. They have to know who he is spiritually. Okay? If Jesus was not God, then all who resonate to nature and to their conscience, who have never heard his name, would go to hell, okay, if Jesus was not God. Um, or a system would need to be implemented to take care of them, which is what Joseph Smith did. Joseph agreed with the false notion that people had to know the name Jesus to be saved. So he set up this vicarious system where you can go in and teach the gospel to dead people so they can hear that and they can accept Jesus and they can accept the Mormon doctrine and then be saved after this life. The system might seem fair and equitable if it wasn't completely and wholly illogical. But know this, the Bible is clear that this life is the time appropriated for us to meet and accept God, and he has provided a number of ways for this to occur. Those who do accept him with what they have been given are present with the Lord by his grace, by God. If Jesus is God, then they are saved by their faith in Jesus because they are saved by their faith in God. Whether they responded to nature, which was all they were given, nature, uh, nature and conscience, which was all they were given, if they understood some of the Ten Commandments, if they moved on, moved on. Now, when you start hearing the name of Jesus, it's a completely different story. Finally, most people on this side of the scales ardently stick to this verse, Romans 10.9. We're going to cover this when we come back after this message.
a.m. at the Webb Building at 72 Central Campus Drive in 1230. Then on the evenings we're at three different locations from 7 to 8. I'm at Weber State University at 3848 Harrison Boulevard at the Suburban Union Building, room 331. And I'm at the Nutrition and Science Building at Utah State in Logan, room 202, also known as the Aggie Ice Cream Building, 725 North, 1200 East. And I remain at the University of Utah in the same location, the WEB Building, room 1230. The final point of this topic is Romans 10.9, a fantastic verse, a verse I believe in, a verse I would preach, and it's for anybody to hear, and it is... That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Absolutely true, okay? But read this verse carefully. How does a loving and merciful God in whom we are to trust expect someone who has never heard of the Lord Jesus to believe in him and then to confess in him? He, he couldn't. How could you do that? So that would make God capriciously evil. It would make him capriciously setting people up. And it, then it would go contrary to scriptures that says, I love you. You understand? When the savage or the heathen, heathen confesses God due to his or her conscience or experience with nature, Jesus is confessed. That's the point. I want to conclude with an interesting passage in 1 Timothy 4.10. Then we're going to go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We like first-time callers. We like callers who are LDS. We like uh, callers who have a question that is short or a comment that is short. And, uh, and turn your TVs down when you come on the air. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.10, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, listen, especially of those that believe. That is such an interesting passage. Who God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. I am, I am uncertain of what this really means, to tell you the truth. But I do believe Paul clearly states that God, the Savior of all men, especially saves them that believe maybe we could add in this life. To me, this verse and others give room for the horrific teaching that all people go to hell, children, savages, heathens, who die without uh, knowing the name of Jesus. It gives us room to throw that teaching out. And I hope that the Christian community would use reason and use the seven ways God reveals himself to people to help them understand that question rather than dogmatically stating absolutely they go to hell or because they haven't confessed that name which I love so much in my life. All right, let's go to the phones. If I can work my way back. And uh, we have Kipley from Boise, Idaho, first time caller on line one. Kipley, you're on the air. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you? Good, thanks, I appreciate you taking my call. Yes. I've uh, tried to get off for a few weeks, but you've been pretty busy. Yeah, it's a busy, busy calling show. That's good, hey listen, I caught your show a few months ago actually, and since then I've caught a few more shows live and seen a few streaming, and as a active LDS, you can imagine that, you know, probably a lot of things you say are kind of offensive and kind of appalling to me. But um, if I could, actually, I just wanted to pay you a sincere compliment tonight. Oh, wow. And I, I hope, I don't want to come out as trite or insincere, but it's in regard to something that you said, I think in reference to an email a few shows ago. Okay. And it, it might have been from one of your archive shows, so I'm not sure, but an email, I believe, talked about um, somebody wrote and said, as a former member of the church and somebody who's been to the temple, why don't you denounce the temple and even the, you know, the garment? And, you know, why don't you... Do you remember that? I, I do. I don't remember that. Yeah. But anyway, they, why don't you 
the emailer was, you know, why don't you denounce that on the show? And I was, that kind of piqued my interest. I was really, uh, you know, I was curious as what you were going to say to that. Yeah. And I remember your response was something like, it's not the purpose of the show. You know, that's not what we're about. That's not what I'm here to do. Yeah. And I don't know. That was just, uh, I, I appreciated that. In oh. the moment, I, I thought that that was classy. I thought that was a classy move. Because, uh, you know, as you know, we we have our critics that that don't always show that same respect towards things that we hold sacred. Yeah, I uh, having been LDS, uh, Kip Lee, for 40 years, I, I, I sort of know, I sort of have a handle on what works and what doesn't with uh, most people who believe in Mormonism. And so, and I knew as a Latter-day Saint, if somebody started throwing out stuff from the temple that I would automatically be turned off and I and I want to reach people with the message of Jesus and and I don't want to turn them off now I know the other shows I get in their kitchen I know I'm offensive at times and and I know I offend uh, but I, I try those things that are ultimately so sacred and that I just not going to touch it because I don't want to offend everybody completely you know right right and yeah. and I uh, I appreciate that you okay know, about names I won't but there are a lot of um our critics and anti-Mormons out there. That okay, Kipley, you got to give me a, a, a very nice compliment. Can I ask you a question? You bet. You born again? Born again, absolutely. Okay, and what does that mean to you? Well, I believe that it means a couple of things. I believe the first step is baptism. Okay. Because of John 3, 5, of course, and... Uh, that was for me, June 27th, 1979, when I was baptized. When you were how old? I was eight. Okay. And uh, and I also believe it's um, it's 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 the spirit. It's a baptism of fire as well, which is as I have heard you mention on the show. It's it's a regeneration. It's a changing. It's okay. It's it's you know my carnal nature becoming a spiritual in nature. It's turning to the turning to the Savior. And and loving and serving and hoping in Him and His atonement. Kipley, does that translate into the knowledge, absolute knowledge, that uh, when you go to bed tonight, if you have a sudden heart attack, that absent in the body, you're present with the Lord. And when I say the Lord, I mean God the Father. Absolute knowledge. If if I were to die tonight. Yeah. I were to die tonight in my bed, I, boy, Sean, for what it's worth, you know, I hope you can take this for what it's worth. I can. From, from my heart, I honestly feel a, a piece of conscience. I, I honestly do. And I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means. So it's, it's your state that you're relying on of being prepared uh, to die that's going to ensure that you live with God? I didn't hear the first part. I'm sorry. It's your state of preparedness, your worthiness that you're thinking on uh, as far as your ability to live with God if you were to die tonight? Absolutely not. Okay, so then why why the hesitation? If it's not your worthiness, why wouldn't it just be an automatic absolute that I go straight to the Father? Oh, I, I didn't mean to give any hesitation. That might have come across. Okay. I apologize. There's no, I, I feel you know, at peace. I, I do feel... Can I ask you what gives you that peace, that assurance that you know that if you were to die, you would go directly to God the Father? That means celestial kingdom. The atonement. The atonement. So it has nothing to do with the fact that you had your new and everlasting covenant and stuff like that from the temple? I believe that all those things are a manifestation of my faith in the Savior. Are they required? Are, I do believe that, absolutely. Uh, just as... The Savior outlined things in the New Testament that were required, like John 3, 5, except a man be born of water. He cannot enter into the kingdom. No, he, I believe that he, there he, are things that that a loving Father and a loving Savior have laid down as... I know you believe those things, Kipley. I, I know you do, but I, I'm trying to cut through quickly so I can get your perspective so the audience can hear it. I want you to know that John 3, 5, if you, read that, if you just read that closely, you're going to see Nicodemus says, how, do I, how am I born again? Do I go back to my mother's womb? And Jesus answers and says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the water part. 
Baptism has absolutely nothing. The thief on the cross, Kipley, was never baptized. And so these ordinances have nothing to do with the salvation. We can't please the Father but by faith. It's your faith in him and his son that saves you, which you said. It's, it's, you said the atonement, but it's more than the atonement. It's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to you as a believer. Your righteousness is his filthy rags, according to scripture. But, but the Lord steps in through your faith and he imputes his righteousness to you. So you're made righteous and clean through the atonement that you mentioned. So, see, there, 100%. I, well, I, I, I can't imagine that the Savior would not expect us to do what, what he did. The Savior, Christ was baptized. Of course, and you should watch our show on I, baptism if you want to see all the, uh, the uh, importance and the meaning of that. It's not just a matter of you guys need to be baptized to be saved and go to heaven, so I'm going to be. It's not that at all. Read uh, go watch the show and then go search your scriptures and see if I'm wrong or right. Kipley, we're going to move on. I appreciate the call. Don, thank you for your comments. Uh, I, I can't honestly say keep up the good work, but I can wish you the best luck <laughs> as a person. All right, thanks. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. We're going to Joy and Layton. Joy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, Sean, um, since becoming a Christian a few weeks ago, I even took my name off the rolls by writing the letter I have tried to talk to my children, my grandchildren, uh, to tell them that um, the Jesus and the God of the Bible are the real ones, and the ones that they worship in the LDS Church are not the real Jesus and the real God. Um, it worries me now because I have never believed in hell before, but now I do, and. Um, if they don't accept this, will they go to hell, even with my asking them and my telling them um, about the real ones? Joy, and, um, uh, you know what? Uh, there are so many. Just be grateful that we're not the judge, right? And there are so many nuances. We don't know what a person has in their heart toward Jesus when they die, when they've been alive. God is the judge, and he will certainly judge them according to the knowledge they've been given. Hell is a reality. Heaven is a reality. But God is the one who is going to judge whether it was uh, whether they had the requisite faith on him, his son, the name Jesus Christ, to be saved. I would just do your part in being a Christian to share in love the truths that you have. Be long-suffering. Be patient. Don't be like me on the show. And uh, you just you just long-suffering and with patience and love, you share Jesus. And in time, those seeds may produce things that you won't know about until the other side. Oh. Okay? Sounds good. That sounds great. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Kevin in Texas on the Great Line 4. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going, my friend? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I've been listening to your show for a few uh, few weeks now, and I really uh, enjoy your program and, uh, and all that you do. Thanks so much, Kevin. Uh, I can you. barely hear you. Can you? This line is really bad. Can you really talk loudly? Yeah. Is this better? It is better. Great, great. Listen, um, one thing that turned me on to your show was that uh, I have a friend of mine that recently converted uh, to Mormonism, and she uh -huh. was Christian. And so I began researching Mormonism, uh, and I came in upon your, your website. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, my question was, um, I have two questions. My first question is, is um, as someone that was previously LDS, what do you think would be perhaps like the best um, way to talk to her, talk to her about, about you know, her conversion to Mormonism? And my second question is, uh, concerns um, Ed Decker's uh, The Godmakers film. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, a cartoon that's circulating. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen it. I'm not sure if you have. Yeah, I've seen it. Is that, a, is that an accurate representation of what Mormons believe? I guess it would be uh, an accurate representation the way, uh, I mean, the way the LDS view a, a cartoon like that. That would be an accurate representation the way porn's an accurate representation of uh, a, a woman's body. <laughs> I mean, Decker, right. Ed Decker, uh, I'm sorry, he has been effective in years past, but he, uh, to me, he's crossed the line of dignity, and he has even publicly said that he will use a, a, a falsehood if it will bring people to the truth. And right. it doesn't do anything wow. in the cause. 
Uh, I would strongly recommend Sandra Tanner's utlm.org. Uh, that is the site for people to go to. I am yeah. convinced of that. Sandra Tanner. It's, it is a good website. Yeah, it is. Uh, as far as uh, your other question, what was it? Uh, I had a friend of mine who was, who was oh. uh, Christian, and then she converted to Mormonism recently. And, and my question was, is, uh, how, what would be the best way to speak to her about, you know, um, her conversion and, and why she did it? Uh, you know, uh, in that case, there's a lot of different ways, but I would continue to uh, establish ground with her on Jesus, which she is going to see lacking in time in all their meetings. And then I would prepare her mind to say, when you go to the temple, you, un you have to understand that what goes on in there is nothing uh, to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at that, just prepare her heart and mind for that experience because when she goes there and she sees what they do, if she gets to that level, uh, she'll walk if she's a Christian. Right. Well, see, she actually was baptized in the LDS church. Yeah. That happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, they're really enamored by the culture, by the friendliness, by the right. good values. So uh, continue to pray and share the Lord and what you have in common with her and the Lord. See if she is uh, holding on to those truths about the Lord and salvation. Right. And if uh, those things aren't part of her vernacular any longer, then you might want to take her back to the Bible and say, well, what about this? Don't you believe this anymore? Right. And Yeah, I would just work on her with uh, the Lord Jesus. And uh, if she's open to information, of course, utlm.org. Absolutely. And one other thing, she did receive the garments, the Masonic uh, undergarments um, after her baptism. Is that, is that standard? No, uh, no, not standard whatsoever. Don't understand what that is. Yeah, because she told a friend of mine that she had received the garments. And I thought, well, that's, there's a hierarchy if I... You're, it, right? you're in Texas. You're not like part of a polygamist group, are you? Or she's oh, not part. Sean, I no, not you, Kevin. Oh. <laughs> no, she's not no, part I'm of. I'm not part of a polygamist group. <laughs> wow, because I, I have no idea what she's getting the garments for at baptism. That's that's totally unheard of. Yeah, actually, it's it's in Austin, um, uh, the LDS church that she belongs to now. Offshoot. I'm sorry. It's an offshoot of the LDS church. No, it's in Austin. Or oh, in Austin. Where she's at currently. Uh, yeah. I, keep on praying, brother. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate all you that you do, man. God bless you. Hey, thanks for the call, Kevin. Yeah, you bet. Bye, bye bye. We're going to Julie, West Valley City, first time caller. Julie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Julie. Well, what's your name? My name is Margaret. Margaret, how you doing? Doing good. It says Julie on the screen. Oh, sorry. It's not Julie. It's Margaret. All right, Margaret. What's going on? I wanted to talk to Sean McCraney. What about? Um, I think he's wrong with uh, God not sending, creating people specifically to go to hell. You do? Well, um, it says in Romans 9 through 920 through 23 that, that he does. What? He prepares. Okay, Julie, hold on the line for a second. Margaret. Margaret, hold on the line for a second. Okay. Uh, you're on the air. This is Sean. How you doing, Margaret? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing fine. What's going on? Um, I don't agree with your teaching tonight. Um, about all about God creating people to go to hell. Yes. And you think that Romans justifies that? Yeah, Romans chapter nine. And what does it say, Margaret? It says that, um, let me see. It's okay. Who, you can just. Who you, are you, old man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me this? Make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to, act, to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make, his, to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, yeah. whom he prepared in advance for glory? Yeah. Yeah, it, it does say that. I think that's rhetorical questioning, similar to what we find in Job. And I think that you can take that in and of itself and you could justify such a position that God creates certain people to go to hell to show how merciful he is to those who don't. 
but it's also the context of that. I believe he's talking and comparing and contrasting Israel with, um, with Gentile nation. And I don't believe in any way that you can justify that looking at the Bible contextually. How could, you say, how could the scripture say that all men, that he desires all to come to him, and yet he predisposed or predispositioned people to be burning in hell? I, it, doesn't, it doesn't reconcile in my mind. So uh, I think we make a grave mistake in telling people that there are some people that God has created who are just going to go straight to hell. Uh, and he created them for that reason. I just, I just refuse to accept that in light of all scripture. So I know you disagree, but I, I, that's my point. I appreciate the call. No problem. Okay, bye, Margaret. Bye. Okay, we're going to Jim, XLDS, line three. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. John, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, how are you? Good, I haven't been able to listen to your show, so hopefully I'm not... Uh, how dare you? ...for this twice. All right. Okay. Uh, there's a gentleman that left the border of Arizona walking through Utah with a cross saying Jesus is love and God is love and God is one in one book. Um, we just saw him going through Pleasant Grove a little bit earlier, and he's on his way up to the Idaho border. So I just want to let any of the listeners know that as they see him, maybe give him a thumbs up or a couple bucks to be able to get something to eat. All right, Jim. Thanks so much. I got one other quick thing for you. Yes, sir. Quick. I got bored one night and looked on the internet on some Mormon sites from LDS.org. Yeah. Uh, they, they consistently say that if you uh, have any question about whether the, the church or the, or the Book of Mormon is true, to pray about it and the Holy Ghost will answer you. Yeah. Well, being Mormon at one time myself, I, I got to thinking that they don't believe you receive the Holy Ghost until after you're baptized and you're confirmed. Yeah. So the question is, is uh, how is that possible? They, what, the way they'll say that is they believe the Holy Ghost uh, could be similar to uh, the effects of the sun, that uh, it's outside and you can feel its warmth when you're not a member. You can be influenced by it when you haven't received it, but it's when you uh, have the actual Holy Ghost residing in you because of your worthiness, then it's like having the sun itself within you. That's how they'll say you can feel the effects without having been given the gift of it yet. Gotcha. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. So, Hey, great call. I really appreciate it. No problem. Take care, Sean. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, we're going to Eddie in Orem, first-time caller on line four. Eddie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Eddie? I'm doing good. What's going on, man? Well, I just have a question um, about excommunication yes. of the church. I, uh, I'm not LDS. I was raised here in Orm. Yeah. And so I was raised a lot around a lot of LDS since I was a little kid. And I always read about uh, forgiveness and you know helping each other. And I have lots of people that have been thrown out of church. Right. And what's what's the, why do they do that when they talk about forgiveness and all these things? I heard the point of view of an LDS person and I want to see what you think. Well, it, I think that the practice, Eddie, is actually biblical, and I think that if you have somebody within the flock of believers that are, are teaching and sharing heresies and are living uh, when they have been confirmed believers and they are living in opposition, they're not babes in Christ, but they're living in outright opposition to biblical truth, that you are supposed to separate them from the group. And so excommunication can be, and even in the LDS sense, can be a form of love. Now, when excommunication in the LDS sense is based off worthiness, manipulation, ecclesiastical control, punishment, and these different things that they do, then it's absolutely wrong, and that happens all the time within the church. But within a, and it even happens in Christian communities, but within a real Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Jesus-loving church, the pastor, his board, whatever, they're going to handle those situations with great love, and they're going to try to, the scriptures say, when you distance somebody because they refuse to acquiesce to God's word, then that makes them feel that distance and they want to come back, and that's the spirit by which it should be given. Okay. I hope that helps. All right, it does. Okay, Eddie, thanks so much. All right, you have a great night. You too, bye-bye. Lines are full. Uh, really quickly, uh, Sheila in Anchorage, Alaska, I found Christians to be insensitive toward animal rights. Where do you stand on animal rights? 
One of the things I love about uh, God is his creations for us. He made this world. Uh, I'm amazed, absolutely amazed at food. I'm amazed at what he has done from the spices and lettuces and vegetation and animals throughout the world that these chefs get on there and, and they're like touched by God in the way they can create things and they all taste good. I believe animals are for man's use. I think that they have rights in the sense that they shouldn't be abused, but I think they should be eaten, especially if they taste good. So, I, you know, I don't think you should beat animals or treat them meanly or, or domesticated animals, dogs and cats or, or things like that. But, you know, I believe that man is here on this earth to use wisdom and love and to use it appropriately. That's my stance on animal rights. Um, Peter in Scarsborough, we have uh, the phone lines are jammed, but the operator is calling. Peter in Scarsborough, I guess Arizona, says, I've heard you say that what occurs in the LDS temples is nothing like what occurs in Solomon's temple. How do you know? Open up the book of Le Leviticus. Read uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. You'll see exactly what is done in the temple. All right? Then go to the LDS temple, like I have done many times, and do what they do, and you will see nothing, nothing except a laver with the oxen underneath it. You will see that. That's the baptism for the dead font. That's a parallel. Everything else is pretty much Masonic. So, and you want to see you want to see parallels to the Mormon temple? Read the Masonic journals. Read Duncan's Book of Freemasonry, written in 1827, that discusses the whole Freemason rite. Go and get that. You can get it at Amazon. Just pick it up and read it, and then go to the temple and hear what they do there. You'll see all kinds of parallels. So that's how I know Peter. And Rumbler and Tooele says, what motivated Joseph Smith? He suffered so much for uh, what he did. Why would he do that if it wasn't true? You know, uh, Rumbler, uh, it's a cause. I think Joseph started off, this is my position, it may not be true, very limited. Joseph started off possibly with good intentions. He uh, then saw people listen to him and believed him. So he started really working it. It became something that may have started with good intentions to a focus on the self. He had a cause, millions, uh, not millions of people then, but hundreds of people were following him. He was able to build communities. He was industrious. He's not alone, Karl Marx and uh, Jenny von Westphalen, his wife, suffered tremendous deprivation throughout their lives for the sole cause and purpose of Marxism. Uh, Gandhi uh, uh, put himself in self-imposed uh, uh, poverty, but many people will do that. So artists the world over suffer for their cause. So the suffering I don't view as something that is proof that Joseph Smith really was doing what is true. Julie, on line two. Julie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You got turn your TV right down. Now? Yeah, you're on now, Julie, and you have uh, literally two minutes. Okay, I just have a quick question. I was raised LDS and was active most of my life. I've pretty much left the church the last few years, but one of my things I really struggled with with the church was polygamy. And a lot of the members of the church that are still active, they'll say to me, like, well, in the Bible there was polygamy. They had concubines. So what would be a good way to have a comeback with that on them? I'll give you a few, uh, uh, few things to say. One, polygamy started with Lamech, who was the son of Cain. Polygamy was never, ever endorsed by God. It was always the idea of men. Men in the Bible said, men or women, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was the one who suggested Hagar. Men or women said, hey, let's take on another to, to do this. And it's just man's idea. Another thing to say is, what did God create? Adam and Eve or Adam and Eve and Jane? I mean, I was thinking. All of those uh, things are things you can use. Polygamy has never, ever uh, turned into something that was beneficial to the families involved. Never. It's he always been a sorrowful. It, but it wasn't his will. Exactly. And there's a difference between his permissive will and his exacting will. He let people in the Bible do all sorts of things they shouldn't have done, and it turned out really bad, but he gave them his permissive will. So that's another good response. Finally, go to Polygamy, What Love Is This? It airs on... Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. It's a great show. It's mostly about polygamy here on TV20. And um, you can also learn a lot from her because she came out of polygamy. Okay. Hey, hope that helps. Never God's will for man to have more than one wife. Never. It's man's will.
Okay, I figured that, and that's how I believe, which is pretty much why I've left the church, among other, you know, other reasons as well. Hey, you want to read a good book, uh, read uh, Todd Compton's In Sacred Loneliness. He's LDS. It's all about Joseph Smith's wives. It is devastating. Read that book. Movie by the church about Emma. That's only their version. Oh, yeah, absolutely their version. That sanitized version. She couldn't version. have been nearly as happy as that movie portrays her. Oh, no way, no way. Hey, a great call, Julie. We're gonna we're gonna end the show. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks a lot. Do okay, bye bye. Work. Thank you. Bye, Mary and Art. I'm sorry, we're out of time. Thirty seconds left. Art, you're LDS and a first time caller. Love to talk to you. Call back.